We continue our study this week in the book of Acts. We're going to be in uh, chapter 2 today. And we should first understand the major event that is taking place in Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church as we know it today. The disciples were directed to go out and start churches. No, that's not what they were directed to do. You know, and, and sometimes people get a little confused about that. But they were directed to go out and be witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so we, being obedient at the ends of the earth, as far as they are concerned in Jerusalem, we're on the other side of the world. Uh, we have continued that tradition by teaching the word of God to those that need to hear it. We shared the word of God with those that are in our communities, with our neighbors, and we show them the good news by how we live, and then we tell them by what we say. And so people get to see what the church is by how we act. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. And Jesus did that for us. But then we continue to do that by giving up our own wants, desires, and so on and so forth for others. Loving them and pointing them to Jesus because he has given us everything we need. So let's share with what he's given us to others so that they know it. The results of the disciples witnessing to the world is that the churches were formed. Now, there are people out there that say, no, you're not supposed to have churches uh, because they met from house to house. They didn't meet in churches. They met in house to house. Not true. They met in churches. It was just the fact that they didn't have little steeples on them, but they met in facilities that were churches. They started in the synagogues, and then they went out into buildings that were able to house many people. Most of the home churches had many people in them. They had 30, 40, 50 people in them, and they were owned by wealthy people that were able to do that. Remember, the upper room where they met, there were 120 um, of these disciples in the upper room. That was someone's house. And they were in this big, huge room. And you can go even to Jerusalem today and find places. Now, you can't just go and rent them because I tell you what, to rent a little place, you know, you get 800 square feet for about $3,000. You know, it's very expensive. It's like New York, very expensive uh, for space there. But back in those days, they had plenty of space. And uh, the ones that were wealthier, you know, uh, had very large homes. Some lived in tents, but they were able to put a lot of people in those tents to meet for these meetings. So, there was churches, there were churches formed. You know what? If you only had small little churches 
um, in home churches with five, six, seven, even 10 people that were meeting all over the place in these little churches, all of a sudden you would have many denominations and all different interpretations. Oh, that's what we have. Okay, so now you see what can go wrong by having little groups of people everywhere that form their own doctrine, their own beliefs, their own interpretation of scripture, it can get messed up. And that's how come they needed to come together so that they can be on the same page, so that they can hear the word of God together. Now, when I teach the word of God, it isn't from my opinion. I teach the word of God from a literal understanding of the word of God. So I don't throw my opinion into this. I study to get the most accurate understanding of what the text says, and that's what I teach from. from and, and not just from today's message, and I'm going to teach. I've heard this before, where uh, people will um, teach topically, and every topic they come up with is a little different from the last, but they teach about the topic and they don't take the full knowledge of scripture into account. They only take that one section that they're teaching out of and they can make the scriptures say whatever they want in the topics. And that's why we needed to have the church develop so we meet together and learn from the importance, from the depth of the scriptures and let the scriptures do the teaching. And then they would go out and they would raise up people to go out and to share that information with the rest of the world. So they trained and raised up men that would go out and they established facilities, churches, where they got together and they taught the good news to others. And they were springing up throughout the Roman Empire. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that made the church successful. And now we're going to be introduced to the Holy Spirit here in chapter 2. The, today's message is titled, The Church is Born, and we begin in verse 1, where we read, And the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And so Pentecost was a celebration. Penta, this is 50. So it's 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. In Leviticus, it tells all about the different feasts and what they were for. So the Feast of First Fruits was after Passover. So Passover happened, and then the next day after that was the Feast of First Fruits. It was a Sunday. It was the day where Jesus rose from the dead. And rising from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits showed who Jesus really was. He became the feast of first fruits by proving himself to have the ability to conquer death by coming back to life. The feast of first fruits was about the people bringing their first fruits, their best 
harvest and they would bring the sheaves from the harvest in to the priest and they would do a wave offering with these sheaves and and that would be for the harvest thanking God for the harvest that they were going to have but it was the best and it was the first coming off of that harvest there didn't need to be a feast of first fruits any longer because once Jesus rose from the dead He took the position as the sacrifice for the world. He showed that there was no need for another sacrifice of these sheaves of first fruits because he solved the problem of sin. That's why all these sacrifices were given to God, thanking him for what he was doing, and it was a way that they could atone for sin, but it doesn't take away sin. And Jesus was the first fruit to take away sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul tells us, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's talking about those that have died. Okay, they were still dead, but Jesus then rose from the dead The first thing he did while he was, after he died, was to go down and it says that he ministered to those that had died and led them out of captivity. And so he was the first fruits showing that there was life over death. And we now take advantage of that because we don't have to die. Oh, we die physically maybe in these bodies, but our last breath on earth is followed by our first breath in heaven. And death doesn't have any power over us any longer. So here is this feast, and then on Pentecost, what happens is that they they would get together for the feast of Pentecost 50 days later. Well, All the Jews from that area were coming for the new feast, the Feast of Pentecost. They were going to come into Jerusalem during that time. How long ago was Jesus ascended into heaven? Ten days earlier. Ten days earlier, he told, remember, because it was 40 days after he rose from the dead, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. So ten days after that is Pentecost. So for 10 days, he told his disciples, go and wait. Wait for what? The Holy Spirit. Go and wait there. And the Holy Spirit will come. So what were they doing for 10 days? They were praying for the Holy Spirit. Well, they were praying for the fulfillment of what Jesus said. So they didn't understand fully what the Holy Spirit was going to do. They just knew that Jesus said, Go and wait, and you're going to then encounter the Holy Spirit. It's, he is going to come. The Comforter, the Helper will come, and he will change your lives. Verse 2, and then suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As they're all, 120 of these disciples are gathered in this upper room. A sound from heaven, as of a rushing wind, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
So in verse 2, it says it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a mighty rushing wind. Their hair wasn't blowing all over the place. Their clothes weren't, you know, going wild. They were sitting there and they heard the sound and it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. And there were little flames that showed up on each one of their heads. It wasn't a flame. It was as like a flame. They had no other way to describe it. They saw something that looked like a flame. Today, you can see those little LED lights that flicker and they look like a flame, but they're not a flame. They're just LED lights. So this was LED before LED was formed, right? We don't know because they didn't explain in detail. We didn't have any pictures. But we know that it was the sound of something like a mighty rushing wind and something like a flame. If it were actual flames, the wind would have blown it out. So it it obviously wasn't that. And so here, they're experiencing for the first time something supernatural where Jesus wasn't there because they've they've experienced many supernatural things before while Jesus was around, right? And now they're there by themselves and something supernatural is taking place right there. This isn't the first time that the Holy Spirit had been active. The Holy Spirit can come on as a wind or uh, can also come upon someone When we see in Genesis 1-2, we read that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. In Judges 6-34, the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. And in 1 Samuel 16-13, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David as Samuel anointed him. And so he came upon. But it wasn't until Jesus that he came in. You see, we're we're human and we're born in sin from the time that Eve got hungry and ate of the wrong fruit and then her husband did the same and so sin entered into the world from that time on. And as sin entered in, that means that we weren't doing what we were designed to do at that point. We were designed to live forever, eternally. From the time Adam and Eve were born, it it was supposed to be an eternal life. But that's how come they were told they couldn't even go into the garden because they could eat of the tree of life and then live forever. And, And that's how come they were kept out of the Garden of Eden. And so here, the Holy Spirit would come upon, but in Jesus, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In John 7.39, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then led by the Holy Spirit out to be tempted in the desert. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that he was able to endure the temptation, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Besides the fact he was God, that helps. If we were God, we would, wouldn't have a problem with temptation either. Uh, but he was tempted just like we were without sin. He never failed or succumbed to the temptation. So now he was glorified 10 days before Pentecost. He ascended into heaven. And then the disciples had this 10-day prayer meeting. And they get together and this event takes place. And they were filled now with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that God waited 10 days. He planned this all along. He knew what was going on. It wasn't that they had, after 10 days, their prayer was perfect and and now it was enough prayer. No, no, this was God's plan all along. Sometimes we think that if we pray the right prayer, have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed for something and you didn't seem to get an answer? So you change the prayer to see if maybe the new prayer will get a, a different answer or, you know, and, and sometimes we just didn't like the first answer, <laughs> you know, so we're going to pray for, a, a, hold on, maybe I didn't make myself clear. And, and let me uh, rephrase that. And, and A lot of times when we pray, we need to hear what we're praying so that we can adjust our prayer to match God's will. These guys didn't know what was going to happen next. And so 120 were praying together and they're just, Lord, we know that you're going to send the comforter. We know that we don't know what that's going to look like, but we're ready. We're ready for you to send the comforter and the helper. And that's sometimes we just have to be ready for whatever God wants to do in our lives. And when we're ready, when we're prepared, uh, then we'll be surprised when it happens, kind of. Oh, this is it. This is what God wants to do. And I, I know in many times in my life, I was surprised by what God was going to do. It was different than what I thought that he was going to do. When we started this church almost 11 years ago, when we started this church, it was not what I expected. You know, we put the name Calvary Chapel out there. We expected people that knew of Calvary Chapel, you know, to to come visit the church and a few did, but it wasn't it didn't grow the way I expected it to. And Lord, did, did we do something wrong? Was this not your and God said, you know what? You're just supposed to minister to whoever I bring in the building. It's not about numbers. It's not about what people are wearing, where they come from, or anything like that. You just teach them what I tell you to teach them, and we'll go from there, okay? And I didn't like that answer, but I said, okay. You know, obviously you're God. And, and, and then he just proved himself over and over again, not in the numbers, not in the way things went, in the fact that people grow deeper in the word of God. People are changed because of the word of God, not because of me or because of our chilly night. But we're still having chilly nights. I mean, you know, I still want to have fun together because we can do that. We can have fun together as, you know, children of God. 
So when you see these events, come and have some fun with us. And, and that's part of the fellowship. That's part of uh, spending time. It doesn't matter if you are um, just here for the winter or if you're here for, uh, you know, if you live here year-round. Come and have some fun with us. And we're very blessed to have you um, involved. So here they are in the church. They're now the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. They are the church. It's not a building. It's people. And they are now the church. And they're going to start acting like the church. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some people get confused about tongues. Some people are concerned about tongues. Some people care a lot about tongues. They, they put a priority on speaking in tongues. And some say, I don't care either way. You want to speak in tongues, go right ahead. You know, so we should look at it a little deeper. What is tongues and how does it apply today? Well, we can do that by looking at how it applied back then, but we can also look at what the Bible says because the Bible has actually a lot to say about speaking in tongues. First of all, there's nothing weird about it. That doesn't mean that you won't find weird people speaking in tongues. <laughs> Plenty of them. Okay, you just have to turn on the fic Christian fiction show there on, on TV. You watch that channel, you'll find all kinds of weird stuff happening. You know, I, I've never seen anyone in the Bible slain in the spirit. I've seen them rise from the dead, but I haven't seen them slain in the spirit. But they do that on some of these shows on TV. Now, if you watch that and think that it's real, uh, consider what's really being done. It's showing that this person somehow is conveying the Holy Spirit to a point where it's knocking someone out and then they start shaking on the stage and all this other stuff. There was actually a pastor who was slain in the Spirit before his service and spent 45 minutes of the service laying on the stage. <coughs> And then he got back up. If I ever lose my notes, guess what? We're having slain in the spirit so I can go ahead and just take a nap. And then someone will wake me up at the end and I'll tell you how wonderful of a spirit. No, that's not going to happen. That's not how God does things. He does things decently and in order. And that's how the church is supposed to function. Decently and in order. If someone jumped up right now and started speaking in a tongue... I would gladly let them speak in the tongue, okay? But I would have a problem with why would the Holy Spirit interrupt the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit gave me this teaching, and that's what I'm here for. And why would the Holy Spirit interrupt the Holy Spirit to speak in a tongue? But if that person spoke in a the tongue, there better be an interpretation. Amen. We better hear what that tongue says. Because... If we don't, hey, Paul said it. Hey, how come there are two or three of you that are jumping up and speaking in tongues that everybody wants to speak in a tongue and there's no interpretation? Need to have an interpretation. There are tongues where you have an interpretation. 
I've heard people speak in tongues and I've heard interpretations. It, it just doesn't work sometimes. Sometimes the interpretation is 10 minutes while the tongue was only three seconds. And, and, you know, so how did you get that much out of that tongue? What are tongues? Tongues are another language. Okay, and, and so when you hear another language, you expect to be able to have someone interpret the other language. Oh, I speak Italian. I know what that person said. They said this. And then you just repeat what they said. And that's what an interpretation for a tongue is. So the Holy Spirit comes to everyone that believes in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Everyone. It, it, you know, it, 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 the Holy Spirit comes inside fills us, and we have the Holy Spirit from that time on. What we do with the Holy Spirit, that's still up, up to us. That's how come the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. That means that when the Holy Spirit is telling you, don't do that, don't do that. I, I have a hard time doing that when I'm driving, driving or the Holy Spirit. Oh, what's, oh, what am I going to do? But, you know, when I'm at home listening to the Holy Spirit speak to me through the word of God, I can be convicted very easily of the things. I'm, I'm sitting there focused. Okay, I'm focused right now. I want to hear from you. And he speaks. And the word comes through loud and clear when I'm willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I, I want to make that clear. As he the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. He is the third person of the Godhead of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And being that he is God just as much as Jesus is God, just as much as God the Father is God. And so the Holy Spirit then works through us. He speaks to us, he ministers to us, and he gives us these gifts. The problem is... We don't develop those gifts. We're given skills and we don't use them. When I was in high school, I was this fantastic football player. That's my sister laughing. The reason why is because I never played football in high school at all. But um, I attended high school and I watched football, 
but I'd never participated. But I know that I would have been good. You know, they just had all these stupid rules. I would have been a great football, and and that's who I know. You know, you have to develop the gift. You have to practice to develop the gift. The gift of teaching didn't come to me naturally unless I was teaching garbage, and, and then I could just naturally spew anything. But the gift of teaching the Word of God didn't come naturally. I had to develop that by knowing the Word of God, by reading the Word of God, preparing myself and studying the Word of God. Yeah, I went to Bible college and they showed me how to do those things. They didn't tell me what to think. That's the difference between going to a Bible college and going to seminary. In seminary, Many of the seminaries out there tell you what to think. And they don't teach about having a relationship with Jesus. Can you believe that? Seminaries, they don't teach about having relationship. They teach you what you need to know to be a pastor, to be a leader, to be an administrator in the church. But they miss out on the most essential thing. How do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And without a relationship with Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit filling me and then developing my uh, personality, my Holy Spirit personality into a teacher, then I wouldn't be able to do this. Now that is not saying that each one of these gifts are individual. Oh, I only have the gift of healing. I only have the gift of teaching. I only have the gift... It's not that. We all have these gifts. Some of us have the gifts more than others. You know who has the gift of healing? The person that's healed. You see, I can pray for someone and they don't get healed. And Well, I guess I don't have the gift of healing. No, maybe it's the fact that they didn't receive the gift of healing from the Lord. Maybe there's something in their lives that stopped them, prevented them from being healed. Not not everyone that is sick is because of sin in their lives. That's a lie from the devil also. Okay, but when someone, you pray for someone and they are healed from whatever it is, they are the ones that receive that gift of healing. Tongues are just another one of those gifts And you know the best place to use your tongues? In the closet. Your prayer closet. Go in there and pray. Because if you're using it in the sanctuary and nobody else understands what you're saying, what good was your tongue? How did it edify anyone? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but a especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. 
I wish you all spoke with tongues. If he said that, what does that mean? They don't all speak with tongues. Tongues is not the evidence of salvation. Tongues is an evidence that we have a relationship with the Lord. It's one of the evidences, but it's not the evidence. So if someone doesn't speak in tongues, they're not disqualified. It's not like, well, you, you got to speak in tongues to be saved. It's not true. Paul said, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless, he in, uh, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so speaking in tongues is great. It's between you and the Lord. If I speak in tongues while I'm praying, uh, we're, we're told that when we don't know what to say, the Spirit gives us utterance. Okay, and, and, and sometimes I get to that point where I, I'm just mumbling, I'm blabbering, you know, but it's, you know, it's the Spirit. But I still don't get edified by that, but the Spirit knows what to pray at that point and knows what I should be saying, but I can't come up with it in my minuscule brain cell that I have left. But when we prophesy... Prophesying doesn't mean uh, I see in the future that this is going to take place and that that's not prophesying. Prophesying is revealing the word of God. And as I teach here, reading the word of God, I'm prophesying. I am teaching and revealing what the word of God means to us today. This is important for us because the Word of God is always relevant. If you see a church called Relevant Church, it's like all the others are irrelevant, <laughs> right? And this is the Relevant Church. Come. And, and I'm not mocking. They're, they're, you know, they, if they teach the Word of God, then it is relevant, right? But, you know, we, we're Calvary Chapel. It, you know what Calvary means? It means skull. Skull. And, and so you're going to Skull Chapel. I, I just didn't want to put Skull Chapel on the outside of the building. I thought maybe people would freak out about that. But I'd probably pick up a, a lot of the headbangers and stuff. And, uh, you know, and they need Jesus too. So, so a guy, Calvary Chapel guy, Started a church, I think it was in Montana, Skull Chapel. Yep. Went up there and started and, and filled the place. You know, so we all got skulls. Some of them have just been banged against the wall too many times. So prophecy is not just foretelling, but it's really teaching the Word of God. It's revealing the Word of God. And I think that's more important also because we can have all these other gifts and what good do they do us unless we're hearing from God, unless we understand the word of God. And the reason why I teach the word of God the way I do is because I want you to understand the word of God and to read it for yourself and see that you can get something out of it without me having to share anything or teach anything. If you ever have any question about what something 
call and ask. I, I would gladly share with you what I understand the scriptures. Some scriptures I may read and say, I have no idea. You know, I don't know what was going on in that, old, in that Old Testament scripture. That was just crazy. But a lot of it is relevant and pertinent for the day that we live in. And when you read Ezekiel, part of it may not be very clear, but part of it is just clear as day especially in the day that we're living in today. So the disciples now were filled and they began speaking in other languages that were unfamiliar to them. Let's see what happens next in verse 5 where it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. What sound? The sound of the rushing wind came together and they heard this sound and... They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So here they hear this wind sound. They come together and they hear all of these disciples speaking in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Galileans! See, Galilee was just this small you know, community up there on... on uh, on the lake, and you know they weren't known for being world travelers and stuff like that. They they had a hard enough time on the Sea of Galilee, you know. Nevertheless, to to go and travel anywhere, they were known for you know. First of all, Jews were known that they didn't travel on ships and stuff like that. They, they were afraid of the seas. That's how come other nations used to be the ones that would do all of their transport for them and bringing their materials. You look at Paul. Every time he got on the ship, it sank. You know, so, you know, I, I could see what their fear was, uh, you know, getting on ships and stuff. And so they just let other people do that. They just used it uh, for the purposes of transporting uh, their merchandise and stuff like that. And so here they're thinking, these Galileans, they're just fishermen, they're you know, craftsmen and stuff in their little communities, but they're all speaking foreign languages. Verse 8, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful words of God. There are 15 different dialects that are mentioned here. Not specifically languages, but dialects. And they're all speaking in dialects that could be understood by all of these visitors. And remember that uh, this was um, a very Greek-speaking communities out there. They also uh, understood um, um, Armenian, they were, they were Aramaic in their language. So th those were the two major languages then at that time. But these were languages that were dialects that were far beyond anything that people, common people, used to hear at that 
point. So what were they hearing? Were they hearing prophecy? Oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. If you've had anyone ever prophesy, usually it's like something bad is going to happen, you know. And oh, you've got to repent and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And, and uh, you know, it's always God criticizing, you know, the people. Or it could be, you know, oh, you are such a good person and God is doing so much. And, and you know, while all of that may be, well, I read the scriptures, it tells me all the same thing. I don't need to hear someone giving me prophecy about, oh, and, and Rick, you're going to wear a blue shirt next week. I wear a blue shirt all the time. And, and I know what I'm going to do. I don't have to listen to prophecy and then enact it by you know, fulfilling the prophecy because there is no prophecy that's given to me that's going to be outside of the word of God. So I'm going to stick with the word of God. And if there's that great detail that I have to know if I'm wearing dockers or jeans tomorrow, then you know what? I'm, I'm going to make the choice myself. I hope I make the right choice, you know? And, and we don't have to rely on listening to what other people say the Bible says. We can go there ourselves and hear from God. And we can read, that's how come it's important for us to hear uh, what the Bible says. So were they encouraging the church to live even holy lives? That would be something good to hear in, in, in these tongues that are out there. Uh, were they rebuking the unsaved for not believing in Jesus Christ? I, I could see why they would do that. Here's all these unbelievers that are gathered in the street and they're preaching, but instead it says that, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And they were speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That's what tongues were speaking, the wonderful works of God. That's something that we can speak in English so people can hear us. It's good for us to share about the wonderful works of God. Do you know, do you know where we, we can share that? Anywhere. Do you know who we can share it with? Anyone. We can share it with believers and so that they are encouraged about the wonderful works of God. We can share it with unbelievers so that they can hear about the wonderful works of God. And what are the wonderful works of God? The wonderful works of God begin right here in my heart. The changes that God has made in my life are amazing. They're incredible. And for God to do what he has done in my life, that's a wonderful work. That's an incredible work. You know, as my sister would, would validate um, the person I was growing up is not the person who is here today uh, because of the wonderful works of God, not because of how great a guy I am. You know, because it took me years to develop how bad I was. And it took me a moment to develop a heart for the Lord and, and a heart of grace just took me a moment to do that. 
Receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is the one thing that changed my life forever. I've made stupid mistakes over the course of my 60-something years, but I don't look back on them as being life-changing. I look back on them as being, okay, stupid mistakes. But the one that was life-changing was receiving Jesus Christ. It impacted the rest of my life. It impacted the way I look at everything. When you watch the news, look at the news with the filter of the Bible so that you can understand what the news is actually saying. When we look at it and we base this news off of this news off this this expert uh, and they they get up there and they share their expertise and uh, do you ever get disappointed because the experts don't appear to have very much knowledge <laughs> do you ever look and say that's the expert can can we get a second opinion here no it's illegal there are no second opinions this is the opinion you're going to listen to. You're going to believe this. This is it. This is all you get. If you listen to a second opinion, it's wrong. And that's how I teach the Bible. <laughs> no, not really. You get to have your own opinion of what the Bible says. There is only one truth, though. And so I'm going to teach the Word of God. Whether you choose to believe it or not, that's up to you. But let the truth ring out. Let the truth make decisions for your life. Don't let me do that. Don't, don't listen to, oh, oh, well, pastor said this. I'm going to have to do that. Pastor said I have to come wash his car every Monday morning and, you know, that, that will get me into heaven. I know someone's going to clip that, put it out there as a clip. Calvary Chapel pastor says that I have to come. You know what? I... I I'm just going to stick with the Word of God, right? Please do the same. Don't just take my word for it. Be a Berean. Check it out for yourself. Because the truth is always the truth. So then we look at number 11, uh, verse 11. They said they were speaking the wonderful works of God. That's what tongues are about. Speaking the wonderful works of God. It's not about something so super spiritual that it's going to light a new movement on the earth and stuff. You know what's going to light a new movement on the earth? When the children of God repent, seek his face, and he will heal, heal our land. That's what happened. It doesn't say when the unrepentant, when the sinner when the unbeliever does it, it says, when my children who are called up by my name do this. We are the ones that have to do this. And we start in our own lives first, in our own homes, in our own churches, in our own communities. That's what causes revival. It's not by getting other people saved. It's by the saved actually doing what the word of God says. Verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed saying, whatever could this mean? So here are all these Jews, they're hearing all this happen and they're perplexed by this. They're wondering, what does this mean? 
you know? And, and if you watch the news, you can be perplexed by what you're reading in the news because it doesn't make a lot of sense when you're watching the news. There, there isn't a lot of clarity there. And they change their minds month to month and week to week. And, oh, they said this this day, and then they said something completely opposite like a week later. And, and we don't understand. The truth of the Word of God will not change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can trust as we read the Word of God, we can trust that we have the answers they make sense, and it doesn't matter what the world puts into law, what the world says is okay, we just passed this law, this means it's okay to do this now. It doesn't matter what they say. What if they say it's okay to murder? We're just going to, you know, our jails are getting filled, we're just going to remove that, we're just going to, it's okay to murder now. So just go ahead and, and, you know, just be nice about it. And, and so if they did that, would it be okay then? No, of course not. And so many of the laws that are being passed today contradict what the Word of God says. And, and so we need to stick with this and not with what the world says because the world is wrong most of the time when it comes to moral judgments. We need to stick with what we know to be true. So the Jews weren't following Jesus. Uh, they could have been there calling out for the crucifixion of Jesus just a couple of months earlier. So these same Jews were here now hearing this going on and it was opening their eyes. Now, I just want to say the Holy Spirit filled the disciples, but the Holy Spirit was not filling those Jews, but the Holy Spirit was acting in such a way, remember, the only way that someone gets into a relationship with Jesus is if they're drawn in by the Holy Spirit, right? And so this is the Holy Spirit drawing them in. He drew them to that place First he comes on the scene with wind and fire and then they come to see what's going on and then they hear all of the wonderful works of God. He is the one drawing them in to hear. We'll pick up next week when we hear what happened next. But the verses we see that this church is being formed. This is the first action of a true church is going out and bringing the truth, bringing the good news, the wonderful works of God to the community. And living here in Fountain Hills, we have that ability too. We can go and bring, or wherever you live, you can go and have an impact in your community by sharing the good news. Just letting people know the good news. We didn't get here because... We advertise, we have a website and stuff like that. We don't advertise on the newspaper. We don't have advertisements in windows. Anyway. We believe in the people going out and just sharing and saying, hey, why don't you come to church? We have good chili. <laughs> and you know, then 
we come together and hear the word of God and they hear the word of God and they see it acted out in the lives of the people that are coming to the church. And so that's how the Holy Spirit works. Paul writes in Romans 12, 6 through 8, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives, give with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These are gifts that we have because we all have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit distributes gifts according to his purposes, his will. And all we have to do is ask. And the Holy Spirit then will use us. We don't have to ask for a specific, I want the gift of healing, Holy Spirit. You know, I I want that gift. Just say, you know what would be the best gift for me to have. So I'll let that gift reign through me. And then when you prepare yourself that way, just by and reading the word of God, he will use you to accomplish the purposes of God here on earth. He gives us many roles within the church so we can minister to one another and then we can go out and minister to the world around us. That's the calling of the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. It's not just a great place to meet and have chili, although we can do that. It's also a place where we can go and bring the good news to the world that needs to hear us. Amen? Amen. 